This is Susanna Hills Podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. Oh, good morning. Good morning. It's a great privilege to be here. And uh, love coming up here to Clarksville. I've been here for the last couple of days now with your elders, having some fun with them, and uh, talking about uh, what's up ahead. I'm I've been here a number of times before. I'm a grandpa now, though, since I was last year with you. And I uh, don't know why you're clapping for that. I also am based in Cape Town, not in KwaZulu-Natal. I pop up there maybe a week, a month to KZN, but uh, Cape Town. And uh, a number of uh, City on a Hill people have joined us down there. They've relocated. So Vito and Claudia, uh, um, uh, Ricky and Claudia, Vito and, and others that are down there, uh, send their love to you. So it's not often when you pitch up at a church, the pastor tells you what to preach on. <laughs> so, but I believe in preaching in series, preaching in team, and I certainly believe what you're doing in your small groups. And so it's a great joy to be able to tuck in and preach into your series, and that's what I'm going to do in a moment. But before I do, driving here today, I was struck by this massive verge on your roads coming to this venue here. And the thought crossed my mind. I thought, I wonder who the guys were who planned that. I mean, your road's only this big, but you can put like six lanes on that road. So they've designed this space for future generations. I believe God's saying to some of you as you've come here today, you're looking at this church and you're wondering about it and you're wondering whether you should be here with them. I, I want to say this to you, that God has designed this church for future generations. In the book of Revelation, chapter 19... It says, there will be a multitude before the throne that nobody can count from every tribe and every language and every nation. And when they begin to worship, there will be a roar in heaven. And as I look at this congregation, this is one of the tributaries. This is one of the roads that leads to that great and mighty multitude that will be before the throne one day. So God is saying to you, if you're a visitor here or if you're reasonably new here, this is a good place, a safe place to be. It's been created for you, for the generations that are going to come and stand before the throne of heaven. The lady who is leading worship on that keyboard, are you still in the building? Is that you over there? I, while you were worshiping, I felt God wanted to say something to you, that, that uh, when you worship at home, I mean, you're really anointed and it was incredible today, but when you worship at home, I don't know why God wants to tell you this, but when you worship at home, your praise reaches heaven. There is a, and you know, the, the book of Revelation also says that our prayer goes to heaven like incense rising. And when you worship at home, when you worship on your own, when you worship in your car, uh, it's like incense rising. Let me pray, and uh, I will continue with your series. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this beautiful church, your bride, that you're busy preparing, getting ready. 
I pray as we talk about our purpose today and what you've called us to, that you would continue to work and continue to wash and continue to build. I surrender these words to you and I ask that you would use them and achieve your purpose with them. In Jesus' name, amen. And so your series on purpose has looked at Jesus making you to be like him. Part of your purpose as a Christian is to be transformed and reflect his glory and to be like him. In addition to that, he's designed you to live in community, not isolated. And today the title that's been given to me is that you've been designed not only for your own good, but for the common good. You've been designed not only to help yourself, but to help other people. Uh, particularly those who can't help themselves. And so, firstly, I think we need to understand the Bible is very clear that we need to have a heart for the common people, for for poor people, for people that can't help themselves. Now, you might really not like that, but, but the Bible's very clear on that. In Exodus 23, if you go back to the Old Testament, it says in verse 6 that you, you are not to keep justice from poor people. Give poor people access to change their lives. You're not to treat a foreigner badly. Why? Because when a foreigner arrives in a foreign land, he hasn't got the context, hasn't got the connections, hasn't got the history to establish himself. So treat them gently. In Leviticus 23, it says to the farmers and those who are able to make money, make sure that there are scraps at your table that the poor can glean from, that can take from. So the Bible makes that very clear. But somehow, in this very self-centered world that we live in, we seem to think this can be an ex optional extra. We get on with our own lives. We help other people when it's convenient. We help other people, you know, basically every now and again. And someone might be sitting in this building today saying, oh, I'm glad they're preaching on this because I am the poor or I am the foreigner. They must all be helping me. Well, here's news for you. Most of the Bible was written to poor people. The early church were not the rich and famous. And so there's always somebody more needy than you. If you're still breathing, if you still have got something to drink today and eat today, there's somebody that you can help. So you can't point your fingers and you can't squirm out of this. And it's, it's, it's not something that you can say, look, this is a department of the church. They're doing it. I'm in a good church. They, Romko, he's handling it for us. <laughs> Murdoch, he's getting people employed. It's a good idea. I line up with this church, and then that box is ticked, and I can get on with my own life. In fact, I've given a little bit in the offering today. Hopefully, they use it to look after poor people. We can't really squirm out of it like that. I don't know about you, but my heart in this area, sometimes I'm, I'm charging, and then other times I'm retreating. My heart comes and goes. In KwaZulu-Natal, where I am, there's a, there's a massive economic problem in our city. Uh, Durban's doing quite well. Maritzburg's not doing well. And so there are people begging at almost every street. 
And so there's sometimes I wind down my window and my heart goes out toward them. But the other day, I saw this lady carrying a baby. She was standing at the traffic light holding a baby. And so my heart just went out there. But the next day I went past, and this lady was at the traffic light, but she had another baby. So I thought, whoa, those twins can't look so different. And then the third day I went past, she had another baby. And I realized she was borrowing babies to beg at the street. And my heart just closed up. In fact, I looked out of the window at her and I glared as I drove past. And I thought, God, what's happening to me? What's happening? You see, God doesn't say, only look after the good poor people. God doesn't say, only be kind to people that are, are really trying to help themselves. He doesn't say that. In fact, it's a command to us. In Deuteronomy 15.10, it says this. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. We heard about the attitude a minute ago. Then because of this, the Lord God will bless you and your work. Now, you don't sort of cheer your heart up and say, okay, I'm going to do it in a happy way because I want God to bless me. But God incentivizes. He knows the wickedness of our heart. He incentivizes us helping other people. And he says this, there will always be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in the land. You see, you can, you can give and then close up again. But he says, I command you to open those hands. I command you to open them. This is not really an optional extra. I was... Um, we have multiple expressions of church where I come from. And so we have stacks of sites. And I get amongst them. And a number of them are in township areas and informal settlements. And uh, I'm involved in leading those. And so this one particular time, I was helping to lead this particular site. And uh, it was deep in, in a township about 30 kilometers from where I lived. And I looked at my watch, and I suddenly realized I was late for the evening prayer meeting. So I ran outside. I jumped in my car. I forgot my wife behind. I just took off. And I got within about five kilometers of the venue, and I looked down, and I saw that I had white socks on and no shoes. Now, I'm deep in a township area. I'm looking around. There's no shops open at 6 o'clock at night. I stopped my car, I look in the boots, maybe my kids left his cricket boots there or something, nothing. And then horror of horrors, I look at my socks and they've got holes in them, my toes are sticking out of my socks. And I think I'm leading this prayer meeting. Anyway, so I, I get out of the car and I think, okay, best thing I do is take my socks off because you know, the holes are going to be a stumbling block. So I come walking, I think to myself, can I make a, like a parable of walking in Jesus' feet? Can, can I, can I, can I roll up my feet and like do an illustration that this is all planned along? And then I thought, no, I've just got to, let's just be me. I'm just walking there. And I could see all the guys, that, I mean, most of them are unemployed and they're looking at me like with no shoes on. It was such a hard prayer meeting and I, when I was driving home, I thought, oh God, I can't do this. I forgot my wife at home. I forgot my shoes at home. 
I don't even know if these people received anything from me. And I was really moaning, saying, God, can't you get somebody else to do this job? And Proverbs 19, verse 17, came to me like a thunderbolt out of heaven. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. Let's think about that. You kind to somebody who's less fortunate than you, or just unable to do that, well, you kind to them, God opens up his ledger and he says, okay, I owe you. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will surely repay you. It's amazing. It's amazing. Why does God incentivize it? I don't know. I think it's because we get hearts like I had coming down that hill saying, God. And God was saying to me, Grant, no one else has seen your holy socks. Your wife doesn't even know what you're going through right now. But if it's not a grudging heart, if it's, Lord, actually I'll give my heart away, God says, I won't leave you. I won't abandon you, my boy. More than a 200 places in the Old Testament where the Bible covers ministry to the poor. And there's this longing through the Old Testament that says, one day a Messiah will come. And when the Messiah comes, you know what he's going to do? He's going to preach good news to the poor. To tell you what he's also going to do, he's going to set captives free. It's going to be like the year of Jubilee. That was a celebration that Israel was supposed to celebrate that says captives are free, debts are taken care of, the good news comes to the poor, the Messiah's on the throne. That was a promise the whole way through the Old Testament. And so we know that God's promise, but then you got, I ask myself, I don't know about you, but I ask myself, why? Why? Because God could just fix it himself. Why does he want to use me? Why does he want to take my heart there? Why does he want to, why does he want to, to put me through that pain? Why? So I'm, I'm going to read Matthew 13 to try and explain that. Matthew 13, 44 is a well-known parable. And it says this, Jesus speaking. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. Can you imagine walking through a field? Right now, what point of past these dusty mind dumps that you've got around here? And you bump, you hit something, and you look, and you kick, and you clean it up, and you think, whoa, there's gold here. You look around, so nobody's watching you. You grab, you get some sand, you chuck it all over, you put a stick on it, an old broken one, so no one notices. You, you hide it, and then with great joy, went and sold everything he had to buy that field, because he knows the value of what's in that field. Jesus told that parable. So, so what does that mean? Well, I, I've heard people say, well, like the kingdom is like that treasure, and it's worth paying a price for. It's worth giving up everything to have that. And, and I suppose you could look at it that way, but I'm not sure that that's the way Jesus was explaining it. You see, the, the thing is, 
you can't really find the kingdom. The kingdom gets hold of you. And the other thing is, if you could find the kingdom, there is no way you could bury it. It's way too big. And if by some miracle you managed to bury it, there is no way you would be able to buy it. It is just way too expensive, way too precious. So what does Jesus say? Often when Jesus told a parable about a man, he's the man. I think Jesus was saying the world is like a field. And he was the man sent into the field. And he was walking through the mud and the dust and the poverty and the squalor and the pain and the sin. And he stumbled across something. Treasure. Treasure. It took him a little while, but eventually he was able to muster everything that he had, his own life, and he paid a price for it. That treasure is people, muddy people, dusty people, poor people. Why does God say go after the poor? Because they're part of his treasure. And he put his whole life, he put his whole life, he paid his whole life for that treasure And he says to you, now you can come and participate in dusting off my treasure and looking at my treasure and presenting my treasure as part of that great multitude that's going to stand before heaven. Because I tell you what, the poor are often hidden in the sand. And people walk by. And he says, just like I was walking by the field, I want you to see the treasure. I want you to see it. It's not really about the price we pay. It's about the price he paid. And you know how valuable it is? You've heard people say this. The value of something is not basically the price tag that the shop owner puts on it. The value of something is what someone's willing to pay for it. Some of you uh, might follow cricket. I come from a background where We paid a lot of that stuff, and my son is a cricket player. So I get dragged into that cricket world. There was a man from these parts. In fact, he went to Potch University. His name was Chris Morris. Tall, ginger-haired fellow. Lanky. Born again. Speaks in tongues. And he, he played cricket here, but our national selectors didn't think much about him. This gangly, red-headed, bucker student. But someone in India saw him. An owner of a very expensive franchise saw this gangly red and looked at the speedometer when he was bowling the ball and was watching the sixes that he was hitting. And he said, you know what? I want to buy that boy. No one else was bidding for him because he wasn't a protea. Our national selectors thought, who's this bucker uck? So they paid a million dollars for him. This is about 10, 15 years ago. He was the first South African to ever get 
bought for a million dollars. And so they called him the million dollar man. And so this little redhead from this province uh, went over to India. But now he had on his price tag, he wasn't just a little redhead that hung around Potch. He now was the million dollar man. And he walked out to the crease like a million dollar man. And he played like a million dollar man. And all of a sudden, our selectors looked up and said, whoa, we need the million dollar man. And so they put him in the South African cricket team. And he played against England. I remember that first series. And he played like a million dollar man. Why? He became valuable because someone was willing to pay for him. And Jesus looks at the poor and he says, don't you dare say they're not valuable. I have paid everything for them. Everything. And so we see that Jesus came for the common good. He came for the common people. He came for the poor. Jesus did as a model for us. He arrived among the poor, firstly. And then he gave to the poor and he spoke about the poor. And in fact, the shortest sermon he ever preached. You know, sometimes lots of words don't make the mark. Sometimes it's just short and punchy. This is what Jesus said, shortest sermon ever. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. You can read this in Luke 4.18. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Close the book. Down he sat. Wouldn't you like it if every now and again Gareth preached that book? 20 seconds, boom. What has just been said? He has come to reach the poor. When John was really confused about why he was going through a tough time, he sent people to go ask Jesus, are you the one? all along, Jesus sent a messenger back, and this is what the messenger was told to tell him, tell John that I have come to preach good Suddenly, John realized. And you see, God's working with the common people all the time. I remember the church was looking for a gardener around about 10 years, no, six years ago. And so my brother-in-law said to me, I found this guy. His name is Timberlake. He comes from a place called Mafagatini, which is Instics. And he's the hardest working guy I've ever seen. He's a little bit strange because he's always got headphones on. He's a wannabe DJ. But he works really hard. So I, I went by my brother-in-law's house, and I saw this guy working, had his, and he was bopping away, digging the leaves, and he said, he's been working like this all day. So I went over to Timberline, and I said to him, Timberline, do you need a full-time job? He says, yes, sir. I said, tell me your life story. He says, I never met my dad. My mother died. Are you married? He says, no. He says, I've got a number. 
said, same woman. He said, no, various women. I said, why do you want to do He said, I want to look after those kids. I said, do you know anything about God? He says, ah, God doesn't exist. Look at my life. So I said, well, I, I lead a church. Oh. <laughs> so obviously he said something that was career limiting right there. I think he thought. Anyway, I got him to mow the lawn. I used to look out of my office window, and there he was bobbing away, mowing the lawn, always with his headset on. Anyway, one day, I was in Australia, and I got a text message. Dear sir, I know you are in Australia. Just checking to see how you are. Regards, Tebalani. Now, uh, quite a number of staff members. Uh, I mean, a, a lot. I tried to share the gospel with him, but I just laughed it off. So I sent a text back to him, and I say, Tembalani, this is a big surprise to get a text from you. He just sends a thumbs up back to me. <laughs> I said, you're sounding like a pastor. He says, well, if you planted a church at Mafagatini, I could stop being your gardener and I could be your pastor in Mafagatini. <laughs> so, so this is on a text, eh? So I said, there's a problem with that, Tembalani, because to be a pastor, you need to be born again. So he sends a message back to me. He says, sir, for you, I can be born again. <laughs> oh, I was so excited. I came back. I, I didn't even talk to my pastor. I just went straight out to the lawnmower. I told him, take your headphones off. I said, hello, Tembalani. I hold him on the shoulders like this. I said, thank you for the text. He says, no problem, sir. I said, Tembalani, are you ready to be born again? He says, nah, I was just kidding with you, man. I was just kidding with you. <laughs> hey, I was distressed, man. But a week later, I said to him, Tembalani, you have to come to a men's camp. He says, but you know I'm not a Christian. I said, yes, but you're a member of staff, and it's compulsory to all staff members to be there. <laughs> he says, do you need to mow the lawn there at the men's camp? <laughs> I said, no, but you're a staff member, and he says, that doesn't sound right to me. I said, well, the Bible says this, the kingdom of God forcefully advances, and right now, it's forcefully telling you to go to the men's camp. Anyway, El Tembalani came and he sat at the back of this men's camp. There must have been about uh, more than a thousand men there. And at the very first night, a man shared his testimony. And I could see Tembalani holding onto the tent pole at the back. I did a salvation call. He was the first man up to the front. I walk, I met him halfway coming down the aisle. I grab him like this. I look into his, uh, today he doesn't mow the lawn for us. Because he's a DJ and he can mix things, he's part of our media team. So, does he still live at Mafagatin? Actually, he lives on the church property now. Has it been suddenly shining gold? <laughs> no, it's pretty dusty. And, and every now and again, we see the gangster in him come out. But he's born of God, he's born again. And... You know, God is working all the time. Who do you think put Tembalani into my brother-in-law's yard? Who do you think caused my brother-in-law to tell me to put him into 
our God. Who do you think caused God to give us the idea to force a man to go to, go to a men's camp? I'm not suggesting that strategy uh, to anybody else. God's at work. Why? Because he's digging up the treasure. Now, his plan, as we bring this to a close, is that you and I are his hands and feet. Jesus said, it's better that I go now. So he, he ascended up to heaven. Jesus right now is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he said, I'm going to give you my spirit. In other words, you will have my spirit in you, the Holy Spirit. And what, what did Jesus say? He said, the, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, and I preach good news to the poor. When the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you, you are his hands and his feet. You're his body. He's the head. Have you heard that picture? He, Jesus is the head. You are the body of Jesus. And we're called to continue his work. We're called to continue what he called us to. In Acts chapter 4, we see the early church did that. There was no needy person among them, it says in Acts 4, 34. You know, this church does amazing things. I've been sitting, talking to your elders the last couple of days, as I said. When I heard, is it future forward? What, what is future forward that you guys do? You know that, that future forward is your ministry that spearheads work into the real needs of your community. But you know that future forward is only a prophetic it's a prophetic statement. It's a prophetic, it's like a kickstart to get all of us going. It's not the total. It's the beginning. It's a vehicle that we train with and, and it alerts us and continues to prophesy. Let the Spirit of the Lord come upon you. And He will put people around your work and where you live and that you bump into. Do you think the people you bump into day to day are random? With God, there's no randomness. He knew the exact day, Acts 17 says, that you were going to be born and the exact place. And he knew exactly who's going to be around you. On Thursday, on Thursday, this coming week, at 11 o'clock, your position and who's with you is not random. It's not random. James says, Religion, faith, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep from being polluted by this world. One of the great pollutants in this world is the philosophy that says look after number one. One of the great pollutants in this world is to say, bugger everybody else. Sorry if that word is not appropriate in a clack store. But I am going to just live for me. He says, keep yourself from being polluted. Let the word wash you. You, you might say, God, well, I, I really don't know how. Because I've done this before and I've been really burnt. It's like I've been, almost my heart has been butchered. Do you know while Jesus was doing it, you know what's happening to him, eh? His beard was being plucked out. His back was being opened up. 
his friends were deserting him. And that's how he was digging up the treasure. It's not always easy. But you know what he said? For the joy set before him. When he sees the gold on the other side, he'll endure that stuff. When I was a young guy, just before I got married, a homeless guy came across my path. And his name was Gary Scott. He was a drug addict. And so I got him to come and stay with me. He, he like lived on a mattress next to my bed. I was living in a digs at the time with another six people. He ripped us all off. He stole all our stuff. I mean, I got him a pair of false teeth because his drugs had sorted his teeth out. We got him false teeth. We got him a suit to go and get a job. He came back one day in his underpants and said he'd been beaten up. We, we believed him. But meanwhile, he was selling the suit to buy his other stuff. Anyway, after about nine months of trying this, I just handed him over. I just said, cheers, bye. And, and sort of my heart closed that day. It closed. And I know we live in a land where there's so much distress that our hearts can close. So how do we live at this address? Well, every now and again, God gives you a glimpse of the joy before you. I was preaching about 20 years later. And I'd finished the message. And I see this distinguished man walking down the aisle towards me with gray, slick hair, well-dressed chino pants, with his, his back like this. I looked at him, I thought, I <clears throat> vaguely familiar, but I don't know who that is. He comes up to me, puts out his hand, gives me a firm handshake, and says, Grant, don't you remember me? I said, who are you? He says, I'm Gary Scott. I said, Gary Scott? I said, immediately I held my wallet. <laughs> He said, he said, I've come, I live in Cape Town now. He said, I've come to say sorry to you. I said, what? What for? He says, I ripped you off. I said, yeah, you, you ripped me off properly. He said, I pretended to be saved. I said, yeah, I figured that. He said, I wanted to say sorry and I wanted to introduce you to my wife. I said, you, somebody married you. <laughs> he beckons this woman. She walks down. She looked like a supermodel. I looked at her and I thought, Whoa, this is like the biggest con of all times. And uh, I called a bunch of pastors to me. I said, guys, this is Gary Scott. Do you remember Gary Scott? And so there he stands with his wife. He was saved at rehab. That woman was a volunteer at rehab. And I look at him and I just shook my head and I thought, the joy set before. Every now and again, God gives you a glimpse. Sometimes you don't see it. Do you know what, Do you know what Jesus said? He says, where your treasure is, your heart is also. Some people preach that the other way around. They say, where your heart is, chuck your treasure there. No. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, where you chuck your treasure, your heart goes. So, so in other words, those of you who've invested in the stock market or in crypto, if you invest... What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the following morning? You want to check, you want to check where the stocks have gone. Why? You, you chucked your treasure there, and guess what happens? Your heart goes there. Where your treasure goes, your heart goes also. So how does your heart stay soft to the common people? Chuck your treasure there. Chuck your treasure there, and your heart will go there. I was just talking about money. I was talking about it's costly to give time. It's costly to stop and look at someone in the eye and give them 
love and concern. Put your treasure there, your heart will follow. My biggest issue when I hear God says, look after the poor, is my heart comes and goes. It goes, it gets stomped on like Jesus was on the cross. And then because I'm not Jesus, I often run away. And I close my heart. And I say, go give that baby back and don't ever come to the traffic like holding somebody else's baby again. Chuck your treasure and your heart follows. Do you normally end with a bit of music? I mean, would the band be able to come forward as we draw this to a close? So I've been preaching largely today to those who are born of God, who are Christian, who have received the spirit of Jesus. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times, or ways you can get involved. We are also streaming our message on Facebook Live, so make sure you join us or share the post. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. We'll see you soon.